0: One of the things I think that is uh, interesting about our, uh, well, the season that we're going through at the moment is we've just got new words and phrases in our vocab. I mean, who's ever said unprecedented as many times as we have in the last two or three months? Uh, Weird's another one. That's just so weird. Here's here's another, uh, well, this one's a phrase, not a word, but uh, here's another um, phrase that's become pretty commonplace. It's the new normal, all right? There's a new normal out there and the weird thing about our new normal is it doesn't stay a new normal for very long before something else happens and then there's another new normal. Um, and you know here's the bottom line, things are going to change um, in the next few weeks we expect in Queensland anyway and there's going to be a new normal. Let me tell you about a new normal that happened to you at some point in time. Some of you know it, um, you experienced it and others of you don't, uh, Just you, you don't notice a particular point in time. You became a Christian. Now, you're talking about new normals? That's one heck of a new normal, all right? Massive new normal. The uh, scriptures, which were bland and dry, became deep and rich. Old habits became less inviting. Uh, The thought of Jesus now does something to you when someone talks about him. Um, Your heart kind of gets strangely. Warmed. You never used to sing out loud in public, ever, unless you're at the football or some kind of cricket game, whereas now you're doing it like every week, even if you're a mumbler as you do it. Uh, the, the reign of Jesus brings a whole bunch of new normals into your life. We, we have been talking over the last eight eternity messages, and this is the eighth one, um, about uh, about eternity, and, and I hope that it's been helpful for you. Uh, you might remember I quoted in one of my messages a little while ago, John 17 verse 3, which says this, this is Jesus talking, and this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. So the question is, when does eternity start? Well, it starts the minute that you come to know God. That's when eternity starts. And I want to suggest to you that rather than settling into some kind of coronavirus new normal, this is the kind of new normal that you want to settle into. Settle into eternity now. Sounds weird, right? Um, but some of you might even push back on me at this point and you just go, well, I still live in this world and I have to deal with irritating people. So what's the deal with eternity? Like that's that's not right. I've got this sucky job and a broken down car. If this is heaven, I'm out. Um But one of the things I think you need to realize, if that's you, and you feel those realities, is even though eternity started now, we don't have it in all of its fullness. Um, uh, A couple of, uh, or a phrase that theologians often use is, we live in the now and the not yet. There's something that has actually started, but we don't have it in all of its fullness. The, The kingdom has started, it's begun Uh, But we don't have it in its fullness, in its completion uh, right now. So here's my encouragement to you this morning. There's a big idea this morning. Let's settle into eternity now. Let's settle into that. I was reading a book this week, uh, and it's just a super helpful book. Um, I'm just loving it. I read about a page, and then it's like, okay, all right, I'll just sit down and we'll just have a think about that for a while because that's profound. And the author in the book uh, cashed out the story of eternity like this. The story of God is about exile from the garden and the presence of God and God's work outside of the garden to restore us to his presence. Isn't that precious? And the question becomes like, well, what does that look like? What does it look like to be in his kingdom? What does it look like to settle into living in his presence? And I I would suggest to you this morning, there's probably, arguably, I think one of the best places to go for this, the Beatitudes. Beatitudes, um, let me, we're going to read that in a minute so you can start kind of working that out on your phone or uh, in your Bible, look up Matthew chapter 5, we're going to start at verse 1 and, and as you do that uh, I want to lay down some thoughts which are going to help you to get a handle on uh, where we're going with this. One of the things I think to notice about the Beatitudes is they, they, each of the Beatitudes start with the word blessed um, and some people translate uh, the word blessed as happy um, but it's a little problematic to do that, not because the word, the Greek word behind it can't be translated that way, but because of what we've done to happy. Um, happy is kind of a fleeting feeling that people have, and that's not really what Jesus is actually talking about in the Beatitudes. It, it's actually not about a fleeting feeling, it's about a status or a position of being blessed by God. Uh, much more of an objective statement. John Stott puts it this way Jesus is declaring not what they may feel like, happy, but what God thinks of them and what on that account they are. They are blessed. They are blessed. So let's read Matthew chapter 5. We're just going to read verse 1 to 12. Seeing the crowds, Jesus went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him, and he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Today, I'm going to skip through the eight Beatitudes. We could do multiple sermons on these. I'm going to give more time to some than others, but that doesn't mean that some are more important than others. It's uh, I'm just keen to kind of rip through these. Uh, because I think this is really important for us at the moment, particularly people who are part of the Project Church. Folks, this is a, a defibrillator for the soul. <laughs> That's what this is. Um, we, we have had lockdown for the last couple of months. We're emerging from it as, as a bunch of people just going introverts are cool. Like they are really cool. There's not a lot of people with them, but they're really cool. We just want to stay there in introvert land. You're kind of gone to ground. And today is like, An encouragement from me and hopefully a defibrillator for the soul, um, by God's grace to say to you, who are you? What, what is normal? What's the, what's the new normal of being in God's kingdom? Um, let's warm the engine up. Let's get it going. Let's re-engage with what the real game is. So let's get into it. The first one, number one. Uh, beatitude number one, you notice that the beatitudes have got a condition at the start and then a blessing at the end. That's basically what it is. It's helping you to see how there's a blessing attached to each of these conditions. What's the first condition? Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now, to get into this one, to crack this one open, uh, this beatitude shows up in the Gospel of Luke. Interestingly, in the Gospel of Luke, it doesn't say blessed are the poor in spirit. It says blessed are the poor. Now, some of you might go, well, that's a problem because there's two Gospels that are different. And I would say to you, it's not a problem. Uh, It's not uncommon for different Gospel writers to bring a different kind of nuance out of something that Jesus is saying. And it's not uncommon for itinerant speakers to use similar material on, on different occasions. So we could expect that Jesus might actually do that. Now, what I want to do is just springboard off Luke's recording of this beatitude, Luke 6, verse 20, blessed are you who, who are poor, to actually see if we can get into what it means to be poor in spirit. Now, let me ask you this question. Is it blessed to be poor? What? Not really. <laughs> it's just not. Uh, it, it's, it's, it's like anyone who's poor, who doesn't have enough money and can't put food on the tables, going, that is not a blessed place. But there is a blessing that's attached to being poor. What's the blessing of being attached to being poor? Well, who is the poor person's only refuge? And we see that right the way through the scriptures. The poor person's only refuge is God himself. This is not a society that has an advanced welfare system. If you're poor and you don't have much money, your only hope is, is God so you see what Jesus is getting at with this poor in spirit thing is these are the people who say their only hope is God Himself. This, this beatitude is for all of those who can't get it done. <laughs> Just can't get it done. You try so hard to pull yourself together you still feel like a wreck. You know you're not presentable. You know the, the poor Person's refuge and help is God, but the the, the necessary kind of flow on or, or a logical extension of that is uh, those who are poor in spirit, those who don't feel like they can pull things together. This is for you. This is the kind of person that the kingdom of heaven belongs to. What about what about you? You might be one of these people who uh, you just you just fall apart without Jesus. <laughs> you know, you just it's like you have. 30 seconds, you turn from him for 30 seconds and you're like a steel cart running down a gravel road and there's bolts and panels falling off really quickly. This is the kind of person that God's talking about. This is what Jesus is talking about. You just can't do it without him. This is this is how you get in, but this is how you operate when you're in the kingdom. You just know that you can't do it without him. This is for all of those people who just go, I I have nothing to offer him. Nothing that he would want, it would seem. This is, this is about you. You know, you have no appeal. You've got nothing to back up your worthiness, nothing to twist God's arm with. That's normal. This is the new normal if you love Jesus. This is the normal for the rest of this life if you love Jesus and also for the rest of eternity. He brings it all and you really don't bring anything. And what do you get? If you've got this heart, the kingdom. That's what you get. That's all. You just get the kingdom. Now, what do you get in a kingdom? Well, a kingdom's all about the king, isn't it? It's about the king's reign, it's about the king's presence. And, and just a warning for you if you are a capable person, uh, be careful. Um, capable people who think they're capable, who think that gets them in, don't get in. That's not how the kingdom operates. Um, Even if you think you offer God just a little bit, um, this is not how it works. This is not the new normal. The, The new normal is God's children throwing themselves on His mercy and receiving everything that they need to do what they need to do. It's how you get in and it's what it looks like when you're in. Now, how would you know that someone is poor in spirit? Is a question. Well, it's pretty straightforward. They ask for lots of help. <laughs> they ask for lots of help from God and from other people. How are you going with asking for help? Psalm 34, verse 6. This poor man cried. The Lord heard him and saved him out of all of his troubles. That is normal, um, normal kingdom behavior is to say, oh, I'm in trouble. And I, know, I just can't do this on my own. And you'll cry out to God for help and cry out to other people around you to help. All right, number two, the attitude number two, the mourners. Blessed are those who mourn for they shall be comforted. Uh, don't miss the, uh, the paradox here, right? Let me rephrase it. Um, how happy are the unhappy? <laughs> What's all that about? Um, how, how could it be that you you would be blessed when you're crying? I mean, this is such a surprise to us, right? Because when people are crying, they appear to us to be uh, needful of more help, of more pity. We don't look at someone crying and go, oh, that person's blessed, right? It's like, let's just get them out of the situation that they find themselves in. They're, they're kind of the ones that need help, Uh not the ones that you want to be. I mean, no one looks at someone crying and just goes, oh, I just want to be exactly like them right now. No one ever thinks that. Well, let's just stop for a minute and just think for a moment, why, why would someone be crying? Now, um, yeah, it could be mourning over the death of a loved one. It could be um, some crying like that. But I, I don't think that's really what Jesus is getting at here um, If you you think about the previous beatitude, the poor in spirit, uh, this would be a mourning that's connected in some way to that. Now, if you look through the scriptures, there's actually a fair bit about crying in the scriptures. Let me uh, read you a few and, um, and then just cash out what I think this is talking about. Psalm 119 verse 136, my eyes shed streams of tears because people do not keep your law. Uh, Jesus in uh, Luke 19:41 to 44 uh, cries over Jerusalem, "Would that you, even you, had known on this day the things that make for peace, but now they are hidden from your eyes." There's the the, the city of Jerusalem, the people in Jerusalem are blinded to it. it we go back to the uh, the book of Ezra in the scriptures. So, While Ezra prayed and made confession, weeping and casting himself down before the house of God, a very great assembly of men, women, and children gathered to to him out of Israel, for the people wept bitterly. What are they crying about? They're crying about the things that they've done wrong, their confession. Uh, Paul talks about. Um, going to to visit the church in Corinth in 2 Corinthians 12, verse 21. I fear that when I come again, my God may humble me before you and I may have to mourn over many of those who have sinned earlier. You've just got this pattern throughout Scripture that people get busted up because of sin, because of trouble. And just let me push in here just for a moment. Um, Do you ever cry over evil and wrongdoing in your own life and in your community do you do you ever get busted up over it and actually get emotional over it i remember going uh, to indonesia with um a, a bunch of pastors a number of years ago and we were doing having this prayer meeting and um you know we we would probably call ourselves at the project reform charismatics but um I wasn't with a bunch of pastors who were reformed charismatics it was really just charismatic Pentecostal so it was probably a little bit more uh, how would I put it um, a little bit more demonstrative than what I was used to but we're in there and I'm just going this is good right I just need to be pushed on this stuff and uh, so um, it was just they were great pastors their heart was great anyway we're in this Prayer meeting. We're overlooking this Japanese golf course in Indonesia, and it was it was a nice golf course. I got distracted at one point by a guy who had a terrible swing, and I just sweat. 120 US dollars for that kind of swing. You need to go to a different anyway. Um, and this Indonesian pastor started praying for his people, and uh, I have never in all of my life heard as passionate a prayer for his people, the people in his country who were lost. Now he started heaving physically and mourning and sobbing this guy was sobbing because his people didn't know Jesus and and I remember this I don't know whether it did or not but I remember this prayer going on for about 30 minutes and another brother in the room an Australian pastor got up next to him put his arm around him and started crying with him for his people um, do, now, now I'm not saying that we need to cry all the time but do you ever cry about that kind of stuff do you ever cry about your own sin and your own blindness. Because what is the blessing for those who cry, for those who mourn? Well, they get comforted. Well, where's this comfort coming from? Well, it's coming from the Saviour. You get busted up over sin, salvation's on offer, isn't it? Is theres there... Is there Any better comfort for someone busted up over the things that they do wrong and busted up over the evil that they see than that free salvation is on offer? There's there's nothing better than that, right? Jesus gets things right. And I just encourage you, we're not going to read it now, but go and and read sometime uh, Isaiah 61, verse 1 to 3. Amazing, amazing section just talking about the blessing that the Messiah was going to bring. And uh, uh, the poor in spirit... Um, and the mourn, those who mourn are just in his sights. All right, number three, I've got to keep tracking. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Now, this just does not make any sense, all right? Because it's not the way that it actually works most of the time in our culture. The meek don't inherit the earth. It's the ones who are powerful, who take power into their own hands, that inherit the earth. That's what it looks like to us, um, Many of you have heard me say before, meekness is not weakness. Meekness is strength and power that's under control. So Aristotle uh, used to say that um, a domesticated ox is meek. Why? Not because it's weak, because it's actually very powerful. A domesticated ox is meek because it has its power under control and it's been trained. Now, is your power under control? Is it well-disciplined? Can it go in a good direction? Um, Let me just push in a little bit on this. Uh, One of the tests of this is if people come up and say, you've got nothing to offer, which is the poor in spirit thing, right? How do you go when someone says that? How do you go when someone says you're a sinner? Like, do you? is there meekness there at that point? Or do you start trying to grasp stuff? You see, the opposite of meekness is trying to grab something. You know, in some ways... I think um, this beatitude is kind of the antithesis. It's the opposite of what we see in the Garden of Eden. Adam and Eve see something good to get and they go to grab it. Meekness doesn't grasp after things. It entrusts things to God. It doesn't pressure people. It doesn't try to control them. It doesn't manipulate people. It doesn't get angry. Anger is about grasping, is it not? It's really about trying to get what God freely gives. Now here's a test. Here's, here's what I think is the biggest test of meekness. How do you go when someone else is not being meek to you? That's the test of meekness, isn't it? Someone's getting after you. Someone's using power for their own end. Someone else is grasping in the 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 thing for you is like, oh, we've just got to get some of that before it's all gone. It's like the toilet paper thing, right? It's like everyone's buying it, so we just get as much as we can. Someone's advancing and you're being left behind. It can really stir you up. Now, the response uh, of a meek person is not to do nothing at that point. That's a whole nother problem. If you're just passive and you do nothing... But you can act in a self-disciplined way in that moment, which leads to goodness for you, for them and, and glory to God. So the question is, in that moment when someone's grasping, uh, can you resist the impulse to, uh, to grasp with your power something that you feel is slipping through your fingers? And let me just add something quickly at this point in time um, Technology is not a particularly good servant to help people to be meek. (laughs) Uh, You get online and people are throwing opinions around and you get on social media and somehow technology in our hands seems that meekness evaporates, power under control evaporates and we say all sorts of outrageous things to one another because the natural limiters of having to say things face to face with people just aren't there. Here's a, uh, a strip from the Dilbert um, cartoon series uh, we just put up on the screen. Uh, this is one of my favourites. It's from 95. So there's a whole bunch of you haven't even weren't even born at that point in time. But um, your ignorance seems to have no limit. Your opinions are idiotic. Your personal hygiene leaves much to be desired. Your family is ugly. Send an email. You're my, mighty brave in cyberspace. Flame boy step inside. That's the thing, isn't it? We get behind technology and we shoot stuff off. Uh, no meekness at that point point. Um, and, and ruin kind of happens. Now, what's the blessing for the meek? Well, the blessing for the meek is you get given something to you that you don't have to grasp after. You just don't have to get after it. And I would say to you today, if you love Jesus and you walk with Jesus, don't get sucked in. Don't get sucked in. You won't miss out. You won't miss out. In our world, the meek miss out. Not in God's kingdom. The meek don't miss out. They get. And they don't have to grasp it to get it. They just get it. Luke uh, 12, 32. Fear not, little flock, for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. You don't have to grasp after it. Keep your... Uh, your strength under control. Remember that you need God's help and that you blow it. Stay humble. Number four, the hungry. Matthew 5 verse 6, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Now think for a moment before as we get into this, hungering and thirsting. Now those are basic desires. I mean, um, I have fasted a bunch of times. And uh, I really, I find out when I fast, I really like food, like, I, like a lot. Um, and you know what Jesus is saying is if you get after righteousness, you get after goodness and, and justice like that, you're going to be satisfied. You're going to be satisfied. You know, righteousness is when things are treated in accord with the value that they have. Uh, God, when God is upheld as, upheld as the most valuable, the rest finds its appropriate place. Uh, And Jesus is telling us here, be eager. Like you haven't eaten for three days for good to come in every situation at work, in that conflict, when it's getting loose at home at witching hour, parents know what I'm talking about, uh, when there's social justice issues, those who are struggling or depressed or anxious, those who don't know Jesus, be eager for good, eager for good to come in those situations. Now, here's the Sondaga way of putting it, right? You just, you want to just be walking around and just finding situations and just go, Oh, now that would, that, that needs a little bit of good, that situation. And you just be thinking in the back of your head. And here's the phrase. You can use this if you want, uh, to think about it, but, um, it's just like, I'm just going to go and shove some good in there. <laughs> I'm just going to shove it in there. You know, one of the things that we do sometimes is we, um, We see situations and we just go, Oh, that's evil. And it's like, Oh, we're going to, we're going to step away from that. And to be fair, there are situations that are evil that we need to step away from. But uh, the scriptures are clear that uh, we are not to be overcome with evil. We're over to, we are to overcome evil with good. So what do you need to do? I just got to shove a bit in there. (laughs) So what situation are you going to bump into today? What situation are you going to bump into this week? Um, and, and this is not like one of those situations where you're going to go, someone needs to shove some good in there, right? It's like, no, if you're there and you see a situation that's not going very well, you go and shove some good in there. Now, let's let's just hold up for a sec here, right? Um, there is There are situations that are difficult and complicated that need wisdom about how to shove good in there. But there are some simple things you can always do. You can always encourage someone. Always, always encourage someone. You can, you can always. Yeah, you might need to be a little bit careful with this one, but you can always encourage people to see the good in a situation. And I wonder. Um, I'm going to close this beatitude out because we uh, we need to keep going. But is that? Are you in that situation now as we're kind of coming out of lockdown a bit? Are you eager to do good things? You just want to see, it's like, oh, I just want to see good things happen. And uh, if I just got to shove some good in there, I'm just going to do it. I'm going to get about doing that. I'm going to hunger and thirst after that. Um, and, And if you're not, let me encourage you, just get on it. Just get on it. This is normal. This is the new normal of people living in God's kingdom. What happens to those who are hungry for the good? Well they get satisfied. Psalm 107, verse 9. For he satisfies the longing soul and the hungry soul he fills with good things. God turns up. Food never tastes better than when you haven't eaten for a long time. Has anyone notice that? You just go, this is incredible. You know, you go on, you go on a, on a sugar fast for an extended period of time and then have a lolly or something, and it's like, bam, like all the circuits are blowing in your head, right? Because there's just, I'm I'm not saying that sugar is holy and righteous, but you haven't had it. And when you have it, it's like, man, that's incredible. And this is what it's like. And when you hunger and you thirst and you get after the good, when you get satisfied, it's going to be amazing. Number five, beatitude number five, blessed are the merciful for they shall receive mercy. And my kids were young. I, uh, it was pretty pedantic about helping them to understand the difference between grace and mercy. Um, I taught them that grace was getting something good that you didn't deserve, and mercy is getting out of trouble. The reason why I was pedantic was because when I was being gracious to them, I wanted them to know it was grace, and when I was being merciful to them, I wanted to know, I wanted them to know that it was mercy. Do you know what is normal for God's people? Is to be merciful. You regularly work to get people out of trouble. You know, we used to, years ago, people used to use the word comeuppance. You know, that person is getting their comeuppance, all right? And so they've got to take their punishment. They started it. Now we've kind of imported a bit of Hinduism. Now people talk about karma, good or bad luck resulting from someone's actions. You know what mercy is? Mercy runs interference with the consequences of people's actions and the consequences of other people's actions on other people. It runs interference. And you need to know, you can see this in this beatitude here, uh, that your need and other people's needs are actually connected. If you understand who you are and your need of mercy well, you will be a merciful person and God will give you mercy. You know, it's important that we have an honest assessment of who we are and who God is. You know, God's kindness to us and our kindness to other people they are always connected. This is Matthew 6, uh, 14 to 15, a little bit further on in the Sermon on the Mount. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. All right, we're going to kick on. Uh, number six, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Now, is a good question. What would pure heart be? Well, good question. Now, on the one hand, we could talk about the sinfulness uh, and evil of the human heart. I mean, uh, Jesus talks about that in Matthew 15. He talks about how out of the heart come, um, comes evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, false witness, slander. He says that's what defiles people. Uh, we could talk about that kind of impurity. Uh, or we could also just drill down a little bit deeper underneath that um, and talk about another kind of purity at a deeper kind of heart level. Uh, and you, we could go either way. But here's the deeper one. You could be impure because there's evil stuff coming out of you or you could be impure because your heart is divided. You know, the, uh, the scriptures speak of, um, of people having a heart that's divided. So uh, Psalm 24, three to four, he shall ascend the hill of the Lord and he shall stand in his holy place. He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not lift up his soul to what is false and does not swear deceitfully. So you've, the, the pure heart that Psalm 24 talks about here is, is a true heart. It's not split and it's not divided. And that's, that's the uh, cry of the psalmist in Psalm 86, unite my heart to fear your name. Give me an undivided heart, other translations say. Now when you are wholeheartedly committed to God, you love Him and you worship Him with the most pure heart you can muster that that the Spirit is doing in you and you're working on it, you know what happens? You catch a glimpse of Him. (laughs) You catch a glimpse of Him. Who knows that? You know that, right? You, You catch a glimpse of Him, the pure in heart, see God. And this is not just talking about eternity then. This is the beauty of the, the Beatitudes is they're not just talking about eternity in the future. They're, they're a mixture of the future and the present. Have you ever known this? Have you ever caught a glimpse of him? I have. It's going to be better one day. One day you'll see him face to face. 1 Corinthians 13. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then... Face to face, that will be sweet. Seven, the peacemakers—not the pacemakers—they're a blessing too for those uh, who have uh, who have them. But uh, this is the peacemakers for they shall be called sons of God. I want to say to you this morning: there is a difference between peacekeeping and peacemaking. Peacekeeping is easier, but it's nowhere near as good. Peacemaking is harder. But it's way better. That's how it works. One is passive and the other one is active. Peacekeeping is about the absence of conflict or the prevention of conflict. Uh, Peacemaking is about reconciling in the midst of conflict. There is a peace that you can bring that's shallow. Uh, Jeremiah 6 verse 14, uh, the prophet says this, They have healed the wound of my people lightly, saying, Peace, peace, when there is no peace. Peacekeeping is about avoiding conflict. Peacemaking is about reconciliation. And who knows that reconciliation is very, very difficult. True, deep reconciliation is very, very difficult. And and I think the reason why is because it goes right down to the details of someone's heart. You know, when you think about conflict, and if you're in conflict right now, Let me give you a few things that buzz around in conflict. You've got offence that buzzes around, genuine offence. You've got idolatry. People normally are hanging on to something and it's kind of the central thing for them. Uh, Or they've hurt someone else because they've hanging on to some idolatry and you've got a bunch of fear getting around. Um, These things stoke the fires of conflict and make it extraordinarily difficult to achieve reconciliation. You know, you can have two people say sorry to each other, but not be reconciled. You know, one of the things that I uh, often say um, publicly and also in conversations with people is if you want reconciliation, you you need to have uh, an honest assessment of what's happened, um, the expression of remorse, and then there needs to be a transaction. The offended party has to decide whether they're actually going to release the person from a debt. Now, that is pretty high level. It's pretty high level stuff to do it really well. The old uh, proverb is to err is human, to forgive divine. You know, I'm not saying that you can't reconcile with people if you're not a Christian, but uh, there's a depth to the reconciliation that the gospel brings that you just can't get anywhere else because it gets down into the details of all of those kind of matters. And surprise, surprise, this is the exact mission that Jesus is on. Um, in the world he's got a ministry of reconciliation and he calls us to a ministry of reconciliation who here knows the world needs more peacemakers like just another six billion would be good right uh, especially in the current raucous era that we're in who knows and yeah, gets close to home here who knows that the church needs more peacemakers totally There is so much trouble in the church. I wonder what it would be like if we were all passionately committed to peacemaking. Now, in the church, and this is, we're just talking about other churches here, not the project, but I've heard that there are people like this in other churches. You've got people in other churches who are are conflict avoiders, just don't want to have conflict. Uh, if, you, if you asked anyone who knows me well, is Peter traditionally, historically a conflict, uh, sorry, a maker or a peacekeeper? And they go, well, he's a conflict avoider, so he's probably in the peacekeeping branch of the, uh, the church. Um, but the reality is, and this would be my testimony, is that peacekeeping doesn't bring reconciliation between people. It just doesn't. And one of the things I've been growing in over the last number of years is how do you be a peacemaker? That's much harder, much harder, especially if you don't like conflict and you just want to stay away from it. It's like Chernobyl for me. It's like I'm not getting a holiday house there anytime soon, and that's how I feel about conflict. But God doesn't call us to that. He calls us to peacemaking. There's other people in the church uh, who I think are fighters, and they just like a good scrap. And I've, I've had friends like this before, and it, they're still my friends, but uh, it, it makes it really interesting. And here's the bottom line. If you're a fighter and you like to have a good scrap, I just want to say to you that not, that not everything matters as much as you think it does. It just doesn't. You need to. If you're a fighter and you know that you like to have a scrap, um, you, you need to learn how to be a peacemaker. And there are people in the church, let me finish on the good one. There are people in the church who are genuinely skilled peacemakers. Man, and they're gifted at it, you know, and you just go, yeah. So you just want to be having dinner with them like three nights a week and just, I don't know, chopping forward with them, whatever you need to do. You just want to be around them, right? Because those kind of people are really skilled and they bring a real. Blessing. They deal with the real things and they get in and they help people to reconcile. You know, this, this is what God is doing and this is what God calls us to do. Work for peace between God and people and people and people. And what, is, what, is the, um, what does the, the Beatitude say? Beatitude says, uh, for they shall be called sons of God. Now, I'll finish in a few moments. Let me tell you about something that happens, and I've, I have fallen into this on many occasions. Um, you, with kids in sport, right? there's a bit of a joke around with kids in sport that parents like to try and live their life that they never got to live through their children. right? So the kid's are not just running down the field with a ball in their hand, it's like it's kind of the parent that's running down the field with a ball in their hand, and when the kid does something really good, the, there's a part of the parent that's going, no, ah, that's me, That's uh, <laughs> I, I held that one to happen. All right? it's, it's kind of proud dad moments, proud mum moments. you kind of standing there going, That is my boy, that is my daughter, and they're killing it right now. It's different to what this beatitude is talking about, right? Because when we do that sometimes, and when I've felt that way sometimes, it's like, I want my kids to do something I never did. And I'm saying, That's my boy. Well, you know something, when you're a peacemaker, God looks at you and he says, that's my boy, that's my girl. (laughs) And he's not saying it because it's something he never did himself. He's saying it because you're taking on the family likeness at that point. He, He has done the heavy lifting of reconciliation between people and God and people and each other. And when you go out and you be a peacemaker like that, he's going, that's my boy, that's my girl. All right. Number eight. The persecuted. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Let me tell you what's going to happen to you if you are a peacemaker. Some people are not going to want peace. They don't want it. They don't want peace between them and God. They don't want peace between them and anyone else. We live in a world that's at war. Now you go in and you do any of these beatitudes that we've got here, And you are going to push against the status quo because it's not cool to be poor in spirit. It's not cool to be meek. In a lot of places, it's not cool to go after the good. It's not cool to have a pure heart before God, an undivided heart. It's not cool to be a peacemaker. Sometimes it's going to stir things up and it's going to be fierce sometimes. And sometimes it's going to be to the point of someone being killed, people being killed, being martyred. But in the midst, what's Jesus saying? In the midst of that, you'll be blessed. You'll be blessed and there'll be a great reward for you in the future. You know, there are, there are lots and lots of stories of people who have been martyred for their love for Christ and Christ was especially close in those last moments. Uh, the story of Stephen in Scripture is one of those. All right, I'll we'll have the music team come up. Here's where I want to finish. I want to bring it all together. I want to show you something. <laughs> I'm going to go through these eight Beatitudes the really quickly. Blessed are those who are poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. What's the kingdom of heaven? The king, his reign, his presence. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Well, who's doing the comforting? The king, Jesus. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Or what's an inheritance? Or well, something for descendants. Or well, who's handing this out? Oh, well, God's handing it out. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Or well, who's going to satisfy people? Well, Jesus is going to satisfy people. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Or well, who are they getting the mercy from? Well, they're getting the mercy from Jesus. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Well, no more needs to be said. That one's all about actually seeing God. Uh, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. You're in the family. Who with? Oh, Jesus, the Father, the Spirit. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. What's the kingdom all about? (laughs) The king, his reign and his presence. You get the point? I want you to notice something as we close. I want you to notice something about the Beatitudes. These blessings are hand-delivered. They're hand-delivered by God himself. You know, the Beatitudes are about the presence of God. They're about unhindered access to God himself in the kingdom. Who is it that calls us to this activity, who promises his very presence in the midst? That's Jesus.